Welcome into the five o'clock hour of this Tuesday edition of News on the Hill. I'm News Director Brighton McConnell, continuing to substitute for Andrew Stuckey for today's show. Having a great time while doing so and looking forward to the rest of this five o'clock hour with you listeners out there. Hope you'll stick around because we've got Art Chansky's Sports Notebook of the Day, remembering Eric Montross in his passing. We also have looks at traffic and weather together and coming up, a conversation with the director of the Vault program in Carborough under the Refugee Community Partnership, Daniela Ranyambo, joining us to talk about a recent prize, Vault Just Earned. Looking forward to uh, talking a little bit more about Vault's work and that recognition. But let's turn to our top local news stories of the day. Today marked the final day of school for the Orange County school system before a winter break in the new calendar year. CHCCS has been off for a couple of days now. Now the Orange County school system joined them. and I imagine many students out there in the district are excited for that break. The district also made an exciting announcement on Monday, too, as they hired their latest superintendent. The Orange County Board of Education unanimously approved the choice of Danielle Jones of the Durham Public Schools system. She has served there for a few years as assistant superintendent of DPS's middle schools. Ahead of the vote, Board Chair Ann Purcell read a statement about the district's selection of Jones and its search process as Orange County had to look for the last few months as they replaced Monique Felder, who they released from her contract back in August. Here's some of what Purcell had to say about Danielle Jones. After meticulous review process that included applications from a diverse pool of 26 highly qualified candidates from nine different states and territories, the Board of Education enthusiastically chose Dr. Jones based on her extensive track record of success, her exemplary leadership, and her unwavering dedication to students and staff. The Board is highly confident that Dr. Jones' vision and expertise will propel the district into new heights of achievement. Once again, Ann Purcell of the Orange County Board of Education speaking there, besides working at Durham Public Schools first as a leadership coach and then as the assistant superintendent. Jones has also been a principal before in the Franklin County Schools system and has worked at a, as a middle school teacher in several places, but that includes here in the Triangle. She worked in Wake County Schools for a little bit too. Now, Jones was not on the call Monday, but she will be there after the school board meeting on January 8th. That's the next time Orange County's school board will meet, and after that, a public reception will be held for Jones before she begins on February 1st. The school year for Orange County County School is going to restart in the traditional academic calendar on uh, January 3rd. The year-round school will have to wait a little longer to get back started, but let's not skip ahead too much and let the kids enjoy their holiday break. Now, 2024, looking ahead to next year, is going to represent a big one for the Orange County School Board because there are several seats up for election in what appears to be yet another interesting cycle. When the filing period ended last Friday, there were seven candidates running for three available seats on that Board of Education. Incumbents Carrie Doyle, Bonnie Hauser, and Jennifer Moore are all running for re-election, and they are joined in the race by Kevin Alston Jr., Michael Johnson, Wendy Padilla, and Cindy Schreiner. That race is going to be decided pretty soon. It's the March statewide primaries this year in Instead of May primaries in North Carolina, so all of those uh, all of those races in Orange County that are nonpartisan, they will be taken care of and knocked out in that March window, which means a couple months of campaigning 
about to really pick up for those seven candidates. Now, one race that is not going to be decided in the primaries is the Orange County Commissioner's District 2 seat. That's because there were several challengers uh, that filed to run in the final days of the filing period last week. Phyllis Porty Ascot currently sits in that District 2 chair. She filed to run for election, even though she has been on the board. She was appointed to the seat earlier this year, so this will be her first true election cycle going for the board. And Porty Ascot drew two primary challengers, Democrat Horace Johnson Jr. of Hillsborough, who also applied for that empty seat earlier in 2023, and then Democrat Adam Beeman of Cedar Grove. So those three will face off in the primary, and then once that is determined, the winner will have a Republican candidate waiting for them in November as H. Nathan Robinson of Hillsborough filed to run for the District 2 seat as well, the lone Republican in that Orange County Board of Commissioners race. We did have Democrat Amy Fowler file for re-election for the at-large seat. She drew no other challengers, so she will be re-elected. And the same can be said for Gene Hamilton, who re, uh, who uh, filed, refiled for re-election for that District 1 seat that covers Chapel Hill and Carborough. She's served a one, uh, one of those four-year terms. And alongside her will be first-time candidate Marilyn Carter, who had in the past applied to be on the Orange County Board of Commissioners. This will be her first election cycle running, and she will it seems, since she drew no, no challengers, take the seat of Anna Richards once Richards leaves the role in the end of 2024. Now, some other races that will have general elections in the fall. State House District 56 in Chapel Hill and Carborough, where Republican Jeffrey Hoagland filed to run against Democratic incumbent Alan Buoyancy. And also Senate District 23, where Democratic incumbent Greg Meyer will face Republican and Caswell County resident Laura Pichardo in November. House District 50, which covers Caswell and Orange counties, did not get any challengers. So congratulations to Democratic incumbent Renee Price on her expected re-election. Now, as we head into the 2024 election cycle, a lot of people will be paying attention to whether North Carolina Democrats can manage to pick up enough seats in the state House and in the state Senate to break the GOP's veto-proof supermajority it currently holds. It will be a challenge for those Democratic lawmakers, though, especially since they now face friendly GOP districts that were drawn uh, within the past couple of months. But some Democratic leaders say that they are optimistic and perhaps not for the reasons that you might expect. We spoke recently with State House Minority Leader Robert Reeves about this, and he said Republican lawmakers have been facing a surprisingly strong backlash from their own voters over their efforts to legalize casinos in communities that didn't necessarily want them. Here is some of what Reeves had to say. That was the first time that there was something that actually caught fire in their communities because a lot of these communities are low information communities just because of the way they're built. You know, their their information that they get comes from national sources because of cable TV. They don't have a lot of local news sources. Uh, local newspapers are dying out. Uh, local shows are dying out. And so they don't know. This was a, an issue that actually you suddenly had people showing up at commissioner meetings. You had people showing up at city council meetings. I mean, I, I would make the argument that you have not seen locally the energy around any issue, which is pretty amazing when you think about it with abortion and everything else that hit. 
you've not seen that kind of energy around any other issue um, in this last biennium. I mean, th- that was the first time that I'd seen people show up and I'd, and I'd seen real consequences. Uh, there was just a poll last week that was looking at President Pro Tem in his own home district uh, being 30 points down to an undeclared candidate. And, and again, you know, who knows what ultimately happens. And, 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 and I'm not in that. I'm not a Republican, so I, I got nothing to do with it. But the point is, you never would have seen that without the casino issue. Once again, that is State House Minority Leader Robert Reeves speaking there. One thing that had changed since that conversation, uh, that that candidate did not declare for a race against State uh, state Senate President Pro Tem, or Leader Pro Tem, I should say, Phil Berger. He is running unopposed in his, uh, in his election. But we will, of course, be following the 2024 election cycle quite closely in our local races and statewide races next year. In the meantime, if you want to see who exactly is running in Orange County at the end of last week's filing period, be sure to head to our news section on chapelboro.com. Now, one final news story here. The Orange County Animal Services Department reported its second positive rabies case in the span of two weeks today, this time a skunk. A release from the department said the the case stems from an incident last Friday near Coal Mill Road and Umstead Road, which is close to the Orange County line in Durham. Residents reportedly called animal control after seeing a skunk exhibiting strange and aggressive behavior outside their home. The case marks the seventh rabies case reported in Orange County for 2023, continuing to up its total compared to 22 and 21. And this is the, uh, the again, the sixth case happened just a couple days ago in December on December 8th, and it was in the same region. A rabid raccoon was reported off of US 70, close to the county line as well. Uh, so, you know, something to monitor if you happen to see any animals acting strangely. Animal Services did make sure to say that you can always get in touch with people and animal control by calling 911, even outside of normal service hours. And time now for our sports report. We are a few hours away still from UNC women's basketball here on 97.9 The Hill. The program rose one spot in the AP poll to number 24 on Monday. That comes after a blowout win on Friday against Western Carolina. And tonight, they're back in action against Oklahoma. The Sooners are not ranked, but they are 6-3 and three on the year. They have faced quite a bit of ranked competition so far and are hungry for a big non-conference win. The Tar Heels probably need a solid non-conference victory to their resume as well. They have a few, but they dropped tough matchups against South Carolina and UConn in the last few weeks. That really could have added something. And since they've got a tough ACC schedule ahead, a win tonight in the Jumpman Invitational in Charlotte could go a long way later in the year. The Tar Heels are in the late game at that showcase, so they'll tip off around 9.30 in Charlotte after the conclusion of Michigan and Florida that tips off at 7.30. We'll have the broadcast right here on 97.9 The Hill. Matt Krause on the call tonight. And we'll also have tomorrow's game in that same Jumpman Invitational Showcase between the men's programs of Carolina and Oklahoma. Some contract news today as the UNC head coach for men's golf, Andrew DiBattetto, agreed to terms on a new three-year contract. So congratulations to him. DiBattetto has led the Tar Heels to top five finishes in each of the last three NCAA championships, really jump-starting the program and getting them into a real period of national contention. And last year, DiBattetto became the first Tar Heel and fourth person ever in men's golf to repeat as ACC Coach of the Year. 
Inside Lacrosse Magazine named the, their top 50 women's college lacrosse players to watch as we get into the 2024 season. And no surprise that the Tar Heels have a couple of names that you might recognize on that list. Congratulations to UNC defender Brooklyn Walker-Welsh, who was the highest Tar Heel, ranked at number 6 on that top 50 list. Number 11, Emily Knowles. Number 42, Marissa White. And number 46, Riley Casey also checking in on there. The women's lacrosse program begins play February 10th on the road at James Madison. Tomorrow is signing day for the UNC football program. Mac Brown set to hold a press conference at 1.30 to announce the full class of 2024. They are planning on bringing in more than two dozen high school players based on the amount of commitments that are out there right now. 20, uh, 247 Sports has that listed as the number 23 class in the country. So means that it should be a pretty young and pretty talented roster still suiting up for Carolina in the fall. Looking forward to learning more about them tomorrow from Mac Brown. And of course, we are still reacting and and uh, processing the very somber news of UNC basketball's Eric Montross's passing on Sunday due to cancer. And with that news, hundreds and hundreds of people shared thoughts and memories on the former UNC star's impact on their lives. For many people, that meant Montross's role in Carolina winning the 93 national championship. For others, it was hearing his voice right here on the Tar Heels Sports Network calling Tar Heels games. But for some, it was Montross's philanthropy and efforts away from basketball that made the biggest difference. Eric is just the finest person that I think I've ever met. That's how Jones Angel, the play-by-play announcer for the Tar Heel Sports Network, described Eric Montross earlier this year after Montross's cancer diagnosis. Angel said while his co-host was a great basketball player, he was an even better person. He is as generous as they come. His Father's Day camp has raised tens of millions of dollars for UNC hospitals. He always has time for people, and he always is thinking of someone else first. That basketball camp is a key example, as it is a linchpin in how Montross and his family gave back to the community. Over its existence, the camp has raised millions of dollars for the UNC Children's Hospital, and it started based on an experience Montross had as a Carolina student. He visited the hospital and its pediatric patients regularly as a player, and Montross was struck by an interaction with a 15-year-old who wished to see some changes made to the hospital. Keela Lyon, who works with the UNC Health Foundation, which is the benefactor of the Eric and Laura Montross Fund, said this. He met a young man named Jason Clark who made a real impression on him. When Eric went off to the NBA, he continued to remember his conversations with Jason and what an impact that young man had made on his life. And when Eric returned to Carolina, he decided to put himself out there for kids like Jason. Eric's really worked tirelessly for the Children's Hospital, and the things they've accomplished at the hospital have been pretty remarkable. One of the main projects Jason Clark requested remains dedicated in his memory, a teen lounge and game room, which gives young adult patients a place to socialize and relax at the hospital away from their everyday rooms. The Eric and Laura Montross Fund has also helped create several murals throughout the hospital, build a pediatric short-stay unit, and pay for different equipment upgrades. The fundraising also helps other local efforts battle cancer like the Be Loud Sophie Foundation, which helps care for young adults with the illness at UNC hospitals. North Carolina Attorney General Josh Stein, who is a Chapel Hill native, said he'll remember Montross's connection to that organization. He was a tremendous human being. I I got to know him personally through his work with my friends Nicholas and Lucy Steiner and their Be Loud Sophie Foundation, and 
he's just an absolute gem of a human being, and my heart goes out to his family and the whole Tar Heel community. And we also received a statement from the Be Loud Sophie Foundation about Montross's passing. They wrote, quote, We simply would not be where we are without his kindness, generosity, commitment, creativity, and humor. He always brought those wonderful traits with him, whether to Be Loud board meetings or onto the stage at Be Loud concerts. There are no words to fully express our deep love, admiration, and gratitude for him.